0: Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bueri, and as always, I'm with Earthquake Anniversary aficionado, Dr. Lucy Jones. We thank all of our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. They do that through Patreon. Would you consider joining them in sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now let's get to it. On April 18th, we'll once again commemorate an anniversary of the great San Francisco earthquake of 1906. That's 116 years ago. That means that no one who was alive then is alive now. So what we know about it is from records. And we have a lot of records, but we also have movies. And there's a movie in 1936. It's a movie musical disaster drama, as it's described. It's called San Francisco. It's with Clark Gable. And that tells us something about the earthquake, right, Lucy?
1: Well, no, actually, Hollywood is not the best representation of what actually happened. It's more a representation of the way People want to think about it.
0: (laughs) So with that being the case, how do we know what actually happened?
1: Well, of course, 1906 may seem like a long time ago now, but in fact, we already had the University of California, Berkeley. We had Stanford. We had plenty of scientists beginning to look at the natural world. The 1906 earthquake generated an early scientific report commissioned by the Carnegie Institute called the Larson Report usually, where they went and documented physically what happened, the observations they could make on the earth of what happened during the earthquake, but also what they saw happen was rupture of the San Andreas Fault. It was the first time that fault got recognized. It got called that because it ruptured through San Andreas Lake, just south of San Francisco and part of the report actually went and mapped the full extent of the San Andreas across California.
0: Was that the first time we called it the San Andreas Fault?
1: Yes, that's where we came to recognize it, recognize that it extended over the state, therefore the earthquake risk was over the state. That all came out of the Larson Report. It is very rare for a scientific paper to be cited by other papers for more than, I mean, a really good paper might manage to be common for a few decades, The 1910 Larson Report is still regularly cited in scientific papers, so it's a very fundamental achievement. We now have all that evidence of how the San Andreas moved.
0: So what actually did happen? Like, describe it, because none of us were there. Very few people actually study the science of that earthquake. What happened on that day?
1: The San Andreas Fault, all the way from San Juan Batista up to its northern end at cape mendocino ruptured during that earthquake and that means one side moved with respect to the other the northwest moved towards the north the southeast side moved towards the south it's called right lateral movement a distance of between four and six meters at most places along the fault so for us metrically challenged people 15 feet 20 feet of offset across the fault Rupturing, pulling apart everything that actually crossed the fault. We have all of these photographs of offset fences and streams and all these other features. It showed the American scientists the earthquake was connected to that movement on the fault. Now, whether the shaking made the fault move or the movement of the fault caused the shaking was not completely agreed upon. We had correlation rather than causality out of those observations.
0: So what were the scientific implications? From the report, from this rupture, what actually did we take away from this earthquake?
1: It really was the beginning of seismology in America. I have heard a few American seismologists claim it was the beginning of seismology, period. But of course, for the previous 20 years, we were seeing a lot of work going on in Japan. In fact, a very famous Japanese seismologist, Professor Amori, who had described aftershocks, we describe aftershocks with Amore's Law even now, came over to California to help advise on the American scientists about this. The story is is that as he got off the ship from Japan, he ended up being physically attacked in a case of anti-Asian hate bias back then and was physically injured. And he luckily stayed anyway and helped us really study this. It helped us know, one, that earthquakes happen on faults. That was really obvious, even though, as I said, the which was cause and which was effect wasn't clear right away. And it was interesting. This was a difference with the Japanese because most Japanese earthquakes are offshore. They don't see the fault. They were seeing it through seismograms. And when you see it on a seismogram, you see what's called a double-couple motion. You see two quadrants moving in one direction, two quadrants in the other, where the thought was if it was moving on a fault, you would just have single-couple motion. And so it was a debate that went on for decades, and it wasn't until the 1950s that there was a theoretical explanation for why you saw what you saw from fault motion, and we were able to resolve sort of this American-Japanese controversy because of it. Here in California, we're very clear about the faults, but we weren't so sure about the seismograms. And it helped us get started. It started there in Berkeley. Things started here in Southern California a decade later because we had 1906, we now had a way to look at it. And as the earthquakes continued to happen, we continued to grow in our understanding.
0: Tremendous scientific advancement, as you just described. What about the social implications? I remember hearing about the great San Francisco earthquake and fire, right? That's a huge coupling of disasters from this event. You described like what actually was going on there.
1: Earthquake set off a lot of fires. The fires got out of control. They tried to control them. They set out an army battalion to blow up buildings to try and stop the fire progressing across the city, but blowing up the buildings set off their own fires, so it didn't work very well. The narrative that came out of it was that the earthquake was bad, but it was really the fire that did the damage. And one reason for that was sort of social boosterism. Everybody had fires to have the city destroyed by fire, well, everybody had that risk and it wasn't something special, whereas of course it had been destroyed by the earthquake, that made the place seem very scary. In fact, as we go back and look, a lot of the damage did happen in the earthquake. There's evidence that pictures that were taken between the earthquake and the fire purporting to show that the buildings were still okay had been doctored, and in fact, a lot of them really were damaged, but there was a strong social need to say that it wasn't. Because when you take out a whole city, it has huge social implications. There were these massive camps. People were living in tents in the East Bay, away from where all of the damage was. A lot of people gave up on San Francisco and moved south. I think it's hard for us to remember that in 1905, San Francisco was the only city that mattered on the West Coast. Everything went through there. And it couldn't continue to go through there when it was gone. It led to a huge growth in Los Angeles as people gave up on the disruption up north and came south. And the population of Los Angeles grew five times in the decade after 1906. It's our biggest growth decade.
0: So what are there any other long-term effects that you saw? When you talk about big disasters, and this is a big one, it fundamentally changes society. Any other societal changes coming from this event?
1: Well, there were some really big financial impacts of it it was developed enough, San Francisco was such an important city that there was a lot of insurance in the city. And at that point, insurance policies didn't specifically exclude earthquakes. And so there were a lot of insurance payouts that happened. Lloyd's of London had to provide so much gold to back up those insurance policies that it's credited with starting the global financial crisis of 1907. So that impact was literally felt around the world.
0: So we talked about sort of the science effects, the social effects, and even long-term effects that radiated out, not just in San Francisco, but around the state and around the globe. Here we are 116 years later, people listening, why should they be still interested in the impacts of 1906 on our lives today and into the future?
1: One very long-term effect, 1906 set the culture by which California looked at earthquakes. And many of the laws that are keeping us safe now have their roots in that original response. Even some of our more modern technological solutions have roots back then. There was a professor at Berkeley, Gilbert, Carl Gilbert, who noticed the very first seismograms. There was one seismometer at Lick Observatory in, in Mount Hamilton, but then also they've been able to document how the waves moved out from newspaper reports and such. And he realized that the waves had to travel at the speed of sound. They were sound and shear waves. And he actually suggested that if we could have used a telegraph to send the word that the earth was moving in San Francisco, they would have gotten that telegraph message before the waves themselves had arrived in the city of Santa Rosa, which is right on the San Andreas fault, suffered extensively, really more damage than San Francisco itself did during this earthquake. So the concept of earthquake early warning, using the speed of light, the telegraph, to transmit the information about the waves faster than they can travel themselves, was actually proposed in 1906. And of course, it's only now, like in 2016, (laughs) that we finally started implementing it in California.
0: Over a century later, we can still take the learnings of an event and apply it to what we're doing now. And moreover, we're able to feel the ramifications in a positive way sometimes from these very negative and scary sometimes disasters. So I think for now, we'll leave it there. And until next time, I'm John Buary with Dr. Lucy Jones and you, Getting Through It. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.